there's a global push underway to make a rapid switch from dirty energy to renewable energy and avoid a worst case climate scenario. But despite the remarkable breakthroughs we've seen in clean energy technology, the world, and particularly the US, has made little progress on the thorny issue of what to do with solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, and other equipment when they reach the end of their useful life. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Newsflash, a special monthly series here on political climate, where we're shedding light on stories you may have missed or that needed a double click, all in under 20 minutes. We're bringing you critical information coupled with details you won't get anywhere else. We're drawing on the latest reporting from Canary Media to bring you the story behind the story, sharing information that got lost on the cutting room floor while writing the article. Canary Media is dedicating this week to covering the end of life for renewable energy assets. Canary reporters are publishing stories all this week about recycling renewable energy products, and we're going to go over some of the main takeaways from that reporting today. Political Climate is presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute and, of course, in partnership with Canary Media. I'm your host, Julia Piper, and back on the show with me today is Maria Virginia Alano, Editorial and Research Associate at Canary Media and producer of this show. Maria Virginia, welcome back to the airwaves. Thanks, Julia. I'm glad to be back and super excited to dive into this series. We at Canary have been talking about doing uh, special series and reporting projects for a while, and so this is the first one. So can you tell me more about this problem? What is it that drove Canary Media to cover this deep dive for a whole week? Yeah, you know, unlike fossil fuels, solar panels and wind turbines don't burn up resources in order to produce energy. Therefore, they don't emit harmful pollution in the form of heat-trapping gases like fossil fuels do. But building the things that are like solar panels, wind turbines, and batteries generates clean energy, but it also uses up other resources like minerals, polysilicon, fiberglass, and many, many others. So as we ramp up the production and deployment of these at mass scale, we're beginning to grapple with the question of what do we do when these assets stop producing energy and reach the end of their life. Uh, Recycling and reusing these materials once they are decommissioned is important, and it's also extremely complicated. There's a lot of open questions about the economics, geopolitics, private and regulatory landscape that will shape up this emerging part of the clean energy economy, and it might determine its ultimate success. So while, of course, deploying solar wind batteries and decarbonizing systems is the main priority in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change, we also need to be thinking about and addressing ways to make that happen in the most sustainable way possible. That includes dealing with recycle or reuse and avoiding as much waste as possible at the end of life. So to help guide us through this very complicated issue, I spoke with Emily Berlinghouse. You'll be hearing from her in this episode as well. She is a non-resident fellow with the Atlantic Council's Global Energy Center and a German Chancellor Fellow based at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam, Germany. Her research is mainly focused on improving the sustainability of battery supply chains. What kind of picture did she paint about this problem? How big of an issue is end-of-life renewable energy assets anyway? So this is how Burlinghouse put it to me. So just to give a sense of, you know, the magnitude of the problem and how it's going to grow over coming years, I can give a couple estimates. So by 2050, the waste from solar PV could total about 78 million tons globally. And when it comes to wind turbine waste, it could be about 43 million tons. And then for batteries, it's a bit harder to make estimates given how rapidly battery chemistries are changing. But at least over the short term, there will be hundreds of thousands of tons of EV battery waste by 2025. 
And for lithium-ion batteries more broadly, it's already in the millions. So definitely a big problem, and it's going to continue to grow as renewable energy continues to take off. Those numbers are massive. So what is happening right now then from a technological point of view? What can be done with these materials? So we have lots of reporting on this by each specific technology on Canary Media this week, so we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. But the good news is that a lot of the materials in these technologies can be recycled. Berlinghouse cited that between 85 and 90% of component parts for solar panels and wind turbines can be recycled. The problem right now is that the recycling rates for these technologies, especially in the U.S., remain very, very low. This is partly due to the sheer size of these assets, right? If you think about a wind turbine, these things are, are very big. The fact that they are made of also composite materials can be hard to recycle and also the lack of incentives to do so. So the cost remains very high with not much upside uh, in some cases. What's happening right now is when these renewable energy technologies reach the end of life, they end up just going to landfills. But that's just not very sustainable. And it's incredibly wasteful, especially because things like batteries and solar panels have valuable minerals and materials that could and should be recovered. A decade ago, Californians started a climate action movement and launched MCE, the state's first community choice energy provider. Community choice providers empower local communities to make their own decisions about the source of their electricity. Today, MCE offers nearly 40 Bay Area communities almost twice as much renewable energy as the state average. The power of MCE is about more than clean energy. It's the power of people over profit. Learn more at mcecleanenergy.org. Support for Political Climate is provided by Fish Tank PR. From combating climate change to defunding oligarchs, the transition to a clean energy economy cannot come fast enough. Solutions abound in the energy transition, but there's also more noise every day. The Fish Tank team brings together deep industry expertise with a love for storytelling. Fish Tank does more than just generate interest from top-tier publications and best-in-class trade media. They help connect brands with the right decision makers and stakeholders. Find out the difference Fish Tank can offer at fishtankpr.com. That's F-I-S-C-H tankpr.com. So when I think about recycling, I often think about my own blue bin and I can't ever seem to get the rules right. So I know how hard it can be. And I think others also think about plastics and paper and trying to figure out how to recycle them appropriately. So are there actually parallels between traditional recycling that we do here at home and the more specialized, more technical renewable energy asset recycling that you're talking about this week? I was definitely interested to get at this as well, because we know that plastics already has a huge issue and very low rates of actual recycling. So this is what our guest uh, had to say about this. You know, especially when you compare battery recycling or solar PV recycling with something like plastics, they're comparable or similar in the sense that there are pretty low rates across the board. And once raw materials are processed or put into composite forms, um, it becomes much more difficult and expensive and energy intensive. But when it comes to recycling for batteries or cathode materials or other types of renewable energy technology recycling, it's also much more complex. So you're dealing with hazardous materials, potential thermal runaway events, really expensive means to transport potentially toxic heavy metals and discharge batteries. And this also increases the cost. 
historically, a lot of the recycling processes have been offshored, which has created a lot of problems in recent years. And now other countries are no longer interested in doing that for the United States. So I think there's just a general trend, especially with battery recycling, to bring things onshore and to have much shorter supply chains from a life cycle perspective than what we've seen. So we talked on the show before about some of the challenges with mining and the need for these materials that power the clean energy economy. They're often tied to problematic global supply chains and vulnerable to geopolitics. Is that something you talked about with Emily? Does it factor into the renewable energy recycling conversation we're having today? Absolutely. And it's something that comes up a lot when we talk about recycling as a way to lessen some of the mining burdens, but also as a way to make up for the huge increase in demand for these minerals, as well as the geopolitical challenges. And, you know, her being based out of Germany and in Europe, she definitely had a lot to say. If we can recover some of these minerals and materials through recycling and put them back into new batteries or panels, that would be a very big win. So this is what Berlinghaus had to say about that. We see from the state of the world right now and the supply chain shocks associated with COVID and controversy with China and the war in Ukraine that the costs of raw materials, especially because they're being imported from other countries, can skyrocket when these supply chain shocks happen. So I think from a financial perspective, there is an incentive to scale up recycling technologies Because especially with battery technology and also, you know, to an extent with solar PV and wind, by incorporating recycled material into new technology, you can reduce the geopolitical risks that might come from future supply chain shocks. So I think from the perspective of private companies that are trying to keep costs down over the long term, recycling technologies can be especially beneficial. And fortunately, that's something that the federal government in the U.S. is looking into. So let's talk about that for a minute. What does the policy landscape look like? So far, the European Union has taken a global lead on implementing recycling regulations, especially for solar panels and lithium-ion batteries. EU member states have been required to recycle 85% of the materials used in solar panels for nearly a decade. The costs of this work are covered by upfront fees on panels entering the European Union, and country-by-country regulations govern how that recycling is managed. Lithium-ion battery recycling policies are also much more advanced in the EU than the US. The EU has requirements for reuse and recycling of battery materials, as well as requiring manufacturers to design batteries to be more easily recycled and mandating that new batteries include a minimum amount of recycled content. But there is even more regulation in the works. So a lot of my research right now focuses on Europe and specifically the EU batteries regulation, which is a big regulation that's expected to come into effect by the end of this year. And it imposes new requirements for carbon intensity or carbon footprint, um, recyclability requirements, incorporating you know, recyclability by design principles, um, and just generally uh, stricter safety measures and battery management measures. There's nothing similar happening in the United States right now. Although I think once that policy comes into effect, a lot of U.S. automakers are going to be looking at it and trying to adhere to these new carbon intensity requirements, recyclability requirements in their batteries, because otherwise they're going to be locked out of 
one of the largest markets for electric vehicles. So in that sense, I mean, that is something that certain jurisdictions are looking at right now. The United States, by contrast, does not have consistent state-by-state regulations on collection and disposal of EV batteries. It actually doesn't have consistent regulations for disposing regular consumer electronic batteries even. So it's not a surprise that regulation on EVs is also behind. There is no federal or state laws requiring the recycling of EV batteries or to assign the responsibility for funding that recycling. And like Burlinghouse outlined, this could become a real problem for the industry as other countries become more strict with recycling requirements. The EU is one of the largest EV markets in the world, and it's definitely headed in that direction. So it's important that the US and US companies are able to catch up. California is the furthest ahead on developing such regulations. Emily and I talked about that as well. So basically, uh, California's Battery Recycling Advisory Group is a group of industry professionals, automakers, battery manufacturers, recyclers, civil society organizations, basically anyone with a stake in batteries and battery sustainability. And it was created by an assembly bill in the California legislature a few years ago. And what they've been doing over the past couple of years is gauging support and crafting recommendations for recycling-related policies. So they looked at what was happening in Europe, they looked at what was happening in China and other jurisdictions, and then crafted their own recommendations based on what they thought would be possible in California. So they had consultations with a number of different stakeholders and then submitted this report to the California legislature last month in May. And hopefully that will lead to some policy change, at least in the California legislature. And given California's position as you know, a leader in environmental legislation, hopefully that will have an impact on what's happening at the federal level in terms of end-of-life management for batteries and just clean energy technology more broadly. So what kind of pushback do you think we can expect to see? How does the industry respond to these kinds of new proposals? Yeah, this is something I also wanted to get into, especially looking into how these regulations were passed in Europe and how they were received there. Obviously, considering that Europe and the US have very different responses to regulation, but I wanted to ask if in any way that could inform how things will go in California and in the future in other states. One thing that I have seen is pushback, particularly to minimum recycled content requirements in batteries. So the problem is that Sometimes when you think you're fixing a problem at one part of the value chain, you end up creating a problem somewhere else. So certain battery manufacturers and automakers are concerned that if the recyclability requirements are set too high too early on, then we'll create a problem where recycled materials have to be imported from other jurisdictions like China, which sort of reduces the sustainability goals of the batteries regulation. So it was interesting to see some of these deliberations in California, and that was actually a policy that was considered and ultimately was not pursued or it had a low level of confidence in California. So I do think certain requirements that might come out as too stringent will receive some pushback from automakers and battery manufacturers in California and the U.S. more broadly. Are there any other legislative initiatives in the U.S. when it comes to addressing this issue? 
Yes, the infrastructure law passed last year by Congress, which we have talked about a lot on the podcast, contains $3 billion for battery manufacturing and recycling. It also sets up a DOE program to study the potential for second life uses of depleted EV batteries in grid energy storage. On the solar recycling side, only Washington state has passed a law to require solar manufacturers to cover the costs of recovering and recycling solar panels, but the implementation of that law has been delayed for years. Uh, U.S. solar leader California has recently taken the less aggressive but still useful step of categorizing solar panels as universal waste, which could make collection and recycling less costly and complex than for items categorized under hazardous waste, which is what they are now. New York State is also exploring a similar change. So I know there's also work being done in other areas of the federal government on this topic. The Department of Energy, for instance, is doing work on recycling. Just earlier this year, they announced a five-year action plan to enable the safe and responsible handling of photovoltaic end-of-life materials, so solar products. And more specifically, the DOE's Solar Energy Technologies Office set a new target to bring the cost of recycling solar panels to about $3 per panel by 2030 which would make recycling truly cost efficient. So this is definitely something that I think we're seeing increasingly become a priority across policymaking landscapes. Absolutely. And it really needs to be. When we sat down to think about this series, one thing that became very clear is that not enough people are talking about solutions or comprehensive ways to make clean energy the most sustainable it can be when it comes to this end-of-life asset management. I think this makes sense to a certain extent. The main priority has been to decarbonize, and these assets are at the center of decarbonization and quite literally the engines of that change away from fossil fuels and therefore away from worsening climate change. Political Climate is brought to you by MCE. MCE was California's first community choice energy provider. For more than 10 years, MCE has helped communities across the Bay Area source significantly more renewable energy than the state average. Nearly 40 communities are now a part of MCE, and together they're leading on climate action for a brighter future. But the power of MCE is about more than clean energy. It's the power of people over profit. It's community power. MCE's efforts on climate justice have helped vulnerable communities gain access to electric vehicles, energy storage, and energy savings. By building and buying more renewable energy, MCE puts the power back in your hands. We all deserve a fossil-free future that combats climate change and prioritizes energy equity. Learn more and take action at mcecleanenergy.org. Political Climate is supported by Fishtank PR. Fishtank is a PR and marketing firm that was listed as one of Inc. Magazine's 5,000 fastest growing businesses in America last year and is widely recognized for its work within the booming cleantech and broader sustainability sector. Fishtank helps companies demonstrate their commercial viability, and clients include those that are backed by major VC firms, tech leaders, and private equity. With so many new entrants to the industry, Fishtank helps tailor your corporate message to the right audience at the right time. They put in the time on media outreach to deliver meaningful results. To learn more about Fishtank's approach to renewable energy, sustainability, and clean tech, go to fishtankpr.com. That's F-I-S-C-H tankpr.com. I did want to get into Burlinghouse's take 
on the tension that exists when it comes to tackling these issues and talking about them and how she navigates these in bringing up how renewables need to do better and really think about some of the real challenges that still exist. One thing to note is that it's very easy to get stuck in a silo. So people who are working on deploying clean energy technologies can often just work within a silo and have conversations with people who are very supportive of that and not be aware of some of the stakeholder engagement issues. So I think like certain topics like stakeholder engagement and consent-based citing and going out and talking to communities and really being open to hearing their concerns about citing renewable energy projects is really important because these are the people that we need. We need their support in order to deploy these technologies at scale. And then I think just having an interdisciplinary approach to these issues. So like I was saying before, communications between people working on clean energy solutions and also those working on topics like, you know, how can we get around with having fewer vehicles, not just replacing every internal combustion engine vehicle with an electric vehicle? What are other forms of transport that we can be working on? How can we be working with cities to deploy a wide array of solutions? I think that's really important. And then my final point would be just making sure that this offtake in renewable energy doesn't exacerbate the divide between the global north and global south. So even though we need this clean energy technology to decarbonize our energy systems and our industry, the technology upon which this relies requires a lot of really energy intensive mining methods. And we need to make sure that when miners go into these communities, that they're not disrupting the local ecosystems and they're not committing human rights abuses or, you know, invading ancestral lands of indigenous communities. So I think there just needs to be a really interdisciplinary approach and also a willingness to hear a lot of different sides of these issues, whether we agree with the opinions of, you know, people on the other side of the table or not. Maria Virginia, thank you so much for sharing some of the awesome reporting Canary Media has been doing on this topic this week. And I encourage all of our listeners to go check out that coverage at canarymedia.com. Thanks also to our guest, Emily Burlinghouse, for joining the podcast. We'll be back again with another News Flash episode next month. Until then, you can catch up on our regularly scheduled programming with my co-hosts Shane Skelton and Brandon Hurlbutt. Plus, stay tuned for another exciting series we have coming up. Finally, while you're here, please take a couple of seconds to leave a review for the podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really helps us grow and improve the show. Again, I'm Julia Piper. We'll be back again soon.